Good. Uh, well, I could think of nothing better than to pray the prayer. Actually, we've prayed once already, which is the special prayer for today, because it seems very appropriate as we come to God's word uh, to pray these words again. So let's pray. Faithful God, you caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Help us so to hear them now, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and always hold firmly to the blessed hope of everlasting, everlasting life which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Kenny, for uh, the invitation to be here uh, this evening. And uh, it's been a long time that I've been praying on and off about this congregation, uh, but I'd never visited until today. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Now, I want to ask us a question as we start. What is God's strategy for Beckentry? What is God's strategy for Beckentry? A a strategy, if you don't know, it's a familiar word, but perhaps we don't know what it means, is a plan of action designed to achieve a long-term or overall aim. A plan of action designed to achieve a long-term or overall aim. Because, you see, you need to know what that is if you're actually going to conform with what God wants you to do. Because the wonderful thing is, is he's given us his strategy for beckentry. So it's a question of us knowing what that is and making sure that we follow along. I, as... uh, I said in an interview, was a soldier for a while, and uh, we needed, we were given, I was given by my bosses, an aim. I had to do a certain thing, and I was then left, at, left to work out what was the best way for me to achieve it. And we did it through a particular set of things. We started with our aim, we then went through factors, courses open and plan and that was drilled into us so that we would naturally think of those things when it came to making a plan well what is God's God-given aim for his people well I've got a short phrase which is from the Bible which uh, will be our working example it's this salvation to the ends of the earth salvation to the ends of the earth. That is God's God-given, that's what he's given it to us in his word, his aim. That's from Isaiah chapter 49. Now that is picked up in many parts of the Bible and wherever actually you open your Bible, if God's great desire is salvation to the ends of the earth, you will find wherever, it's a bit like a piece of rock that you might get at a, at the seaside, Wherever you break it open, you're going to find God's heart oozing out through the pages in some way. Obviously, there are some bits which are uh, more obviously clear in that. Uh, But, for example, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, we can see God's great concern for all people to know him. 
all nations to be blessed through uh, a, uh, a son of Abraham. And then you get into the New Testament and we hear Jesus talking about making disciples of all nations or that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. You will be my witnesses, said Jesus, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So quite clearly, God is, as it says in 2 Peter, very patient towards us, not wanting any to perish, but that all should reach repentance. These are all slightly different ways of saying the same thing. That's the reason why in this Advent season, which remembers that Jesus is coming again, that's why we... um, uh, That is why Jesus has not returned yet. His primary reason for not coming back, or God's reason, is because he wants to have patience on the people of Beckentry and elsewhere so that they have an opportunity to turn to him in repentance and faith. So God's given aim is salvation to the ends of the earth. But what are the ends of the earth like in the context of Beckentry? Now, I've done some fun uh, uh, Googling to find out some facts about Beckentry, because this is my first visit here. Um, and Beckentry is, Beckentry, it is, it is peculiar to Beckentry. There's nothing else quite like it. Uh, I learnt about Beacon Tree, which apparently is a fictitious way uh, of what it was going to be called, but that they couldn't fit that extra letter on the bus on the bus label. Well, I don't think that was true. But uh, Beckentry was built and populated between 1921 and 1935 as what was called the world's greatest public housing project, Corned Beef City, because most people couldn't afford anything else. 26,000 homes fit for the heroes of World War I but actually with not a little fear that they might turn to communism if they weren't looked after. A place of few amenities. And I've uh, read a copy of the initial estate tenants handbook, which makes some interesting reading. Uh, Number four of the rules says, The tenant shall keep the front garden of the premises in neat and cultivated condition. Number eight, the tenant shall clean the windows of the premises at least once a week. Number 16, the tenant shall be responsible for the orderly conduct of his children on any part of the estate. Sounds like the requirements of an elder, doesn't it? (laughs) For any nuisance or annoyance they may cause to other tenants or to members of the public. For any damage to or defacement of any building, wall, fence, gate or any other property of the council, and shall repay to the council the cost of making good any such damage or defacement. Number 19, the tenancy may be terminated by the council at any time by giving seven days' notice in writing. On breach by the tenant of any of these conditions, the tenancy may be summarily terminated by the council council 
at any time. So that was what it was like, in theory, in those early days. It's obviously Beckentry is very different today, uh, without the Ford Motor Works. Uh, the Bingo Hall, as I've learnt, is now a happy, clappy church. So it was said. Uh, there were there are fewer inhabitants now, as the families tend to be smaller and more are individually living in dwellings that were intended for for greater numbers of people. It has quite high violent crime statistics. Multiple languages are spoken. Do you know what the second language in Beckentry is after English? Lithuanian, yes, Lithuanian. Yeah, all right. A relatively high percentage of people with bad health and it's got the highest number of Buddhists of all wards in Barking and Dagenham. One of the exceptional areas of London that voted to leave the European Union, but whose two MPs, Margaret Hodge and John Crudus, both campaigned to remain. So, in, in a word, it's a pretty unique area, isn't it? But the great thing about God's strategy for Beckentry uh, is that it is salvation to the ends of the earth. The same in Beckentry as in Bangalore, the same in Dagenham as in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And in this little letter of Paul to Titus, we have another place in God's world where he employs the same strategy. You see, he's writing to, to Titus about the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. And Crete was also a fairly unique place. Look with me at chapter 1 and verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now what is Paul's verdict on that? Verse 13, this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply. Doesn't sound like a particularly fertile field to go visiting door to door in, does it? Not a good and fertile place for the good news of Jesus Christ. How, how is God's strategy going to change to adapt to that? Well, his aim is still the same. He wants all people, chapter 2 and verse 11, all people to come to know Jesus. And actually the way to achieve that hasn't changed at all from when Paul told Titus to get on with it in Crete. It's been given to us by God. So let's look briefly, but it'll be looking at the whole book uh, of Titus. Um, and I want to draw four things briefly to our attention that apply to Beckendry as they do to Crete. The first is this. God's strategy is a strategy of rescue. God's strategy is a strategy of rescue. Uh, just look with me. You don't, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. He refers to God, our Saviour. Saviour is another word for rescuer. Chapter 1, verse 4. He talks about Christ Jesus, our Saviour, rescuer. Chapter 2, verse 10, 
talks about the doctrine of God our Saviour. Chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation, rescue for all people. Chapter 2, verse 13, The appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 4, The loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared. Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, He saved us. The Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. I think we get the message, don't we? Saviour, rescuer. It's all about a rescue. It would seem that these examples in such a short letter, that God is involved in a rescue mission. And the thing about a rescue is that the person to be rescued has to be rescued from some kind of peril, whether they know they're in it or not. And it is a rescue from something for something else which is much better. So you don't rescue someone, uh, as the expression goes, out of the frying pan, only to leave them in the fire. Uh, The Bible talks of similar examples of that, in Amos chapter 5 where he says as if a man fled from a lion imagine a lion over there flees from a lion and a bear met him he flees from the lion and the bear meets him that's out of the frying pan and into the fire or he goes into a house and so breathes a sigh of relief leans his hand against the wall and a serpent bites him these are unfortunate but they're exceptions The Bible is much more normally about rescue from something bad to something good. The Israelites, from slavery in Egypt to living under God in the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Rescue from exile in Babylon and returned to Jerusalem. And these are all small examples of the big rescue that Jesus would accomplish by rescuing slaves like you and me from sin to being sons and daughters of God through a unique rescuer, Jesus. And that is why at Christmas we will remember you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins, Matthew chapter 1. So God's strategy is one of rescue. And it's easy to leave that out, put it on the sideline, uh, because we're faced with so many needs around us that uh, demand our urgent and perhaps immediate attention. But we need to recognise we do need to be saved. Secondly, This rescue comes through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spoken of Jesus as the unique, the only saviour. And then look with me at chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That is what we celebrate as we celebrate Jesus' first coming, At Christmas, the word appeared 
in that phrase that I've just read out describes something that was invisible and how it was made visible. It happened when God the Son became the Word which became flesh. It became visible. That is Jesus' first coming. It has already occurred and because of his life and his death the rescue is available to all. But there is also a future appearing. Look on to chapter 2 verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing, same word, uh, of the invisible being made visible, the appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And the Advent season, as I've already said, which we're in now, is the reminder of that appearing, the one that we have not already had, when the now invisible Jesus, who sat at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, will be made visible at his appearing again. And the question remains, what about in between? He came once, he will appear again. What's happening now? Because that's where we live. That's why we should be interested in that. We'll look at chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, isn't that lovely, that expression, who never lies, in a place like Crete, where Cretans are always liars. But this is a God who never lies. Okay, The God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Saviour. The word manifested in that little section there is the same root word as the word for appearing that is used in chapter 2, both of the first appearing and the second appearing. So the way that Jesus appears to us today between his first coming when he was made visible and his second coming when he will be made visible, the way he's made visible now is through the preaching of him by his people, his witnesses. Isn't that a remarkable thing? That as we speak God's word, Jesus is manifested. Jesus is made visible amongst us. That's why Mike and Rob and Kenny, and all of us actually, in proclaiming God's word, have that as our central focus, because that is the way that Jesus is revealed. It must not be neglected. And we must trust that the word will do its work by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. We mustn't lose heart when it appears not to have much impact. It will, it does. It's not through the brilliance of the speaker or the wonderful programs that you put on here, but through the simple proclaiming of the word of God that people will come to know the Jesus that you love, door to door or at any place where you have the opportunity 
to make known the word of God. So God's strategy is a rescue plan made known through the proclamation of Jesus Christ and his good news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, that is achieved through rightly ordered local churches. Achieved through rightly ordered local churches. Paul, you see, is writing to Titus and he reminds him in chapter 1 verse 5 what he expects of Titus. This is why I left you in Crete. Why? So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I uh, directed you. Now the word to put in order, the words to put in order means to straighten out something that is crooked, to mend. Or in this case, because they are new churches that have only just been established, uh, it is, uh, it is to, to complete what is lacking for them. I, I looked up the, uh, the Greek word and you, uh, for this, and you can look at it, and I found that there's a mobile repair shop in Nicosia, in Cyprus, uh, which mends what is broken. And that is what the words to put in order are all about. And here in Crete, the idea is to make good what was lacking in these newly formed churches, and doing so involves Titus appointing elders in every town, just as we have been doing with Kenny this evening. Well, what kind of elder is needed in God's church to carry out this rescue strategy of making Jesus known through the proclamation of his good news? Well, in some ways, the list that was read to us is unremarkable, isn't it? The thing that is remarkable about it is just how unremarkable it is. These are the qualities of any Christian believer and what we should aim at. But notice a number of things that I just want to pick out from this list in verses uh, 6, 7, 8 and 9. First, it doesn't start with a full curriculum vitae, a CV or a resume if you're American. As if the most important thing is for Kenny to be specially qualified. No, that's not what he's saying. He starts, secondly, behind the front door in Kenny's home and in the family life that Ken, Kenny leads. That life should be above reproach, it says, twice. That doesn't mean sinless perfection. Otherwise, I suspect, uh, Kenny, if you're anything like me, uh, that will not have been achieved yet. That has only ever been achieved by one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't need to worry too much about that. But no, above a reproach is not sinless perfection, but it does suggest that there are no glaring faults in the lives of that elder, in the life of that elder, that would need reproof that had not already been dealt with and done away with. And some of the questions I ask candidates and have asked candidates over, over time is how have you been faithful to your wife? How have you brought up your children to follow your example? 
You see, our children, our wives, and I know only too well, which is one of the reasons I didn't bring mine with me today, is that our wives can spot a hypocrite a mile off. And so can our children. They may not say so if they know what's good for them, but they can spot a hypocrite. And that is what we're trying to avoid. That's why what goes on behind the front door is so important. One of uh, it's there are other common Christian features in uh, verses seven and eight for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. That's again, he must not be arrogant or quick tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Notice that none of that is about his ability to do anything in particular. It is about his character, formed in the crucible of his home and his home life. But only in verse 9 does he get to any form of gifting that is required, because it's required, verse 9, that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So he must be able to teach the trustworthy word he's not inventing anything it's all here doesn't have to add to it in fact shouldn't add to it he bases his teaching on the trustworthy word so that he may instruct positively and rebuke uh, where that is uh, necessary well many people ask me what a bishop does well one of the key things is that a, a bishop is an elder all right, a bishop is an elder like the others who teaches the truth of God's word as he received it, but he also has the function of appointing and overseeing elders because it is so easy for us to go off track. As the passage says twice, the elder must be above reproach. And that's why it's so important that the elder in the church must be above reproach and hold on to the tr- trustworthy uh, words. Fourthly and finally, we've looked at various things, but what is the purpose? The purpose of all this is so that the church, Beckentry Church today, is a people who are transformed for the sake of rescuing others. Let me show you uh, where that comes. We've already noted that the Cretans, even by their own estimation in chapter 1, verse 12, were always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Someone said, using the the L um, to start all the words, lying, lazy and lecherous. It was not great material, is it, from which to bring about any kind of rescue of anyone. And in chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. But he's not just leaving things like that in some one-off way, because the grace of God doesn't just have that once-for-all impact. It has a further function, says in uh, chapter 2, verse 12, to school us, to train us, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, 
So it's got a positive and a negative function. And this is what Paul refers to elsewhere as good works. That's what the, the revealing of Jesus through his word achieves now. It achieves good works. Chapter 2, verse 14, zealous for good works. Chapter 2, verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, ready for every good work. Chapter 3, verse 8, devote themselves to good works. And chapter 3, verse 14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So it's not just for Kenny or Mike or Rob or me, but for everyone. And hence the instructions in chapter 2 to the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, the bond servants and the masters. All should be showing these qualities that mark them out as different from the Cretans or from the ordinary dwellers of Beckentree. And what is the purpose in them living these different lives? Chapter 2, verse 5, that the word of God may not be reviled. Chapter 2, verse 8, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Chapter 2, verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. Chapter 3, verse 14, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. And all for the sake of outsiders, all for the sake of the people in Beckentry, in the estate here. Alongside the door knocking and the proclaiming of Jesus Christ, must come the living of transformed lives. Well, in case this needed underlining, Paul speaks in chapter 3, verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That is what Paul and Titus and the Cretans, before they became Christians, that's what they were like. That is what the people of Beckentry are like. That is what we were like before. And yet Titus is to look out for people who live consistent Christian lives which is the role of the Holy Spirit in the washing and regeneration. So we've seen what is God's strategy for his world. We've seen what his strategy is for Beckentry. His strategy is a strategy of rescue from death and sin to life and service. It is a rescue coming in these last times through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is through rightly ordered churches with godly, competent elders instructing and rebuking. And it's so that people, the people of God, are transformed in our lives for the sake of outsiders. It's not new. It's not necessarily particularly exciting. It's not culture dependent, so it's different in one place from another. But it is the way that God came.
carries out his plan. What an amazing God we have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for revealing to us in your word what your strategy is for your world. We thank you that you don't want any to perish, but all to reach repentance. And we've seen how that happens through the proclamation of Jesus Christ and what he did revealed to us in the scriptures. We pray that you will keep us faithful to that. We pray that uh, Kenny and Mike and Rob will faithfully lead this congregation by preaching the word, training, instructing, and where necessary, rebuking, so that we may all live lives that are worthy of you for the sake of the lost here in Beckentree. Please do that in us.